that is just a wonderful, wonderful Christian, uh, contemporary Christian classic there. I think it was Steve Green had to be one of the first uh, singers out there that I ever heard sing that. And, uh, and I can still, can't help, but whenever I hear that song, think about when I was, I guess I was a senior in high school. I was at a youth camp in Ridgecrest, North, uh, Ridgecrest, North Carolina. And uh, one of the things that I studied that week was sign language. And uh, don't give me a test on sign language today. Unfortunately, I don't use it all that much. But I can still remember uh, learning sign language that week. And, uh, and that was the song. We, did it to, we signed that song right there at a worship service. And uh, my father and mother always enjoyed when they would see us do that. I think about some of these students who did a locomotion activity and that ministry team here. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful, simple song there reminding us of something down deep that we know, don't we? And that is that people need the Lord. Very to the point, very simple, but very profound in its statement. And, and that's a great song to have before today's message. I want to invite you to take your Bible and find Romans chapter 8. We're in this series called A Hope. And if you've looked up here on this very nicely arranged platform and stage, you'll notice, of course, these these beautiful flowers, and I, and I believe these are from the service that took place last this, at, towards the end of uh, the latter part of this week, and, uh, and uh, the dear saintly lady who for years lived, I believe, the house right over this direction, which is where one of the, really some of the original prayer meetings, if I've, if I've got this right, okay, was it that direction? Okay, that direction. It was over this way. All right. And so different people are filling in on different things. But it's just, it's good and, and wonderful and right to remember and give thanks for the saints that have uh, served the Lord and have blessed us and now have gone to their reward and glory. Amen. And I may have told you this before, but at our, at our SBC Virginia prayer conference this past winter, one of our speakers made a comment, and, I, and, I had, and I've not checked this out, but I'm trusting he's right because He's been a professor, and professors are supposed to know what they're talking about, right? And, uh, now, and he's a pastor. And you always know when pastors tell illustrations, they're always truthful. Um, and anyhow, he was giving this illustration, and he said this. He said that in the Bible, after a person comes to Christ, they're never referred to as a sinner again. They're always referred to as a saint after that. And he kind of chided some of the church leaders there. He said, listen, he said, you guys need to quit calling. You need to quit calling your church leaders and your church members sinners. He says, you wonder why they act like that sometimes. It's because you keep calling them that. He said, you need to call them saints. In fact, he referenced Romans chapter 8, and he talked about how really in the Bible, as followers of Christ, we are called more than conquerors. And it's that word you get these real popular tennis shoes from, Nikeo or Nike, the idea of victorious, that we are super conquerors, that we are more than conquerors in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Won't that bless you right there? And so today we come to Romans 8. Now, Romans 8 is one of these chapters of the Bible that many people, and I can understand this, and I would put myself among them, will say this is my favorite chapter of the Bible. Now, last week we talked about the 23rd Psalm, and many would say that's their favorite chapter of the Bible. And really what, what when I think about favorite chapters of the Bible, I kind of think about this. When every now and then, I have three children, as you know, one of my children will say to me, which one of us is your favorite? Now, if you have more than one child or more than one grandchild, they ever do that to you? 
Which one of us is your favorite, all right? Now, sometimes just, I guess, kind of being kind of teasing or something, I'll mess with their heads and I might pick one of them or something like that, but I quickly, you know, that, that's not a good thing to do. You don't want to mess your children's psyche up. So I'll try to explain them. Listen, I love all of you, you know? I love all of you, but isn't it true that there are moments, though, even though we love all of our children, there are different moments in life when we're proud of a particular one. Isn't that true? Like you'll see one just shine bright and you'll be like, man, I'm so proud of you, sweetheart or son. You know, and when I think about scriptures, sometimes people say, what's your favorite scripture? Well, really, all the Bible is inerrant, is infallible. So really, I, I ought to say, well, all of it, you know, I love all of the Bible. But any of you in here who have read through the Bible, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do so, and you do that in your devotional time, read a chapter to a day, you'll be surprised if you stick with it, how you'll get through it. But I just said stick with it, because sometimes you're going to hit, especially in certain portions of the Old Testament, some stuff that seems really kind of foreign to us, like Leviticus, all right? You just, my advice to you is just read that quickly, all right? No, I'm just teasing. Or, or numbers, you know, where you get all these long lists. Here's just, you know, and sometimes it can be hard, but go, Lord, this is, this isn't really building me up. Now, believe it or not, and I won't take time today, I could kind of give you just some simple thoughts on how even when you're reading, reading some of those parts of the Bible that seem kind of not, well, okay, where's this really applying to my life, how it really can encourage you. For instance, I'll just give you one now, I just can't resist it. You're reading a genealogy. And you say, I don't even know how to pronounce these names. Listen, that can bless you because right there in the Bible, listen, that ought to remind us that God knows every single one of us by name. You know that? God knows all of us by name. There's nothing that happens in your life that misses God's attention. God has every single hair on your head counted. The Bible talks about in the Old Testament how how he takes your tears and has your tears in, in a bottle is the illustration given. You don't shed a tear without God taking notice. But it is true, I think, that there are certain scriptures that really, really are worth committing to memory and really stick with us. And Psalm 23 is one of them, and Romans 8 is a chapter that's full of them. All right, and we're going to look at that today because also up on, on this stage is this. Now listen, you got to be careful with this here because this is a real, live, legitimate, authentic boat anchor, all right? And I bought this boat anchor because in this sermon series on hope, I wanted you to have an image to remember. Because if you want to have hope in this life, we need to have our lives anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word. Amen? Because, you know, this, this anchor, I mean, it's, it's not the heaviest anchor in the world, but it's a substantial anchor. This, in fact, when I went in to buy this, uh, buy this anchor, the, the guy selling it, he, he had a question that would have been a good question. I said, I need an anchor. And he goes, well, how big is your boat? I said, well, I, I don't have a boat. <laughs> and he looked at me and he's like, well, what do you want an anchor for? Do you really want to know? Okay, well, because I'm doing, I'm speaking on, <laughs> on a subject, and I need, I, want an, I need a prop. I want an illustration, all right? And so I said, I want an anchor, and he goes, okay, he goes, well, these are real anchors. You know, these, these anchors are meant, this is what he said. He says, all these, all these have a purpose. All these have a purpose. Basically, he's saying these aren't just for show, all right? These are real anchors, and they have a purpose, all right? And that's what they were built for. And I said, well, this one looks like it'll do quite nicely. I think it'll work, and, and so I'll take that. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, is the Bible's not for show either, all right? 
And it's interesting, and, I, and we debated this week. I was talking to George about it. I said, well, I, I just need this anchor. I, I'd like it to be visible so people will remember that their hope has to be anchored in the Lord and in the word of God. And I said, well, we just need to put it up front somewhere. And so we came up with this idea. Now, now they, the, the thought was entertained, and I was just not quite brave enough yet that we could put it here on, this, on the Lord's uh, supper table here next to the Bible. But that had been a good illustration because understand this. The Bible, the Bible isn't just for show. All right? This is, this is the real deal, all right? And, and God's word has to do more than probably what this anchor's gonna do, and that's collect dust, all right? The Bible is meant to be activated in our lives. We are meant to kind of drop anchor in the word of God, and that is what holds my life stable when the storms of life come. So in Romans chapter 8, I think today you're going to find some tremendous words of encouragement. Now, I want to advise you to do something. In the program today, there's a sermon note page. And there's a few blanks on there, and we're going to put that on the PowerPoint screen. Because I know it's irritating when you go home from church and you still have blanks on your little note paper, all right? So I don't want you to... I don't want you to get chafed over that. So make sure we try to get that for you, all right? But you're going to notice here some questions and then some answers. And those are straight from Romans 8. Straight from Romans 8. Not a lot of fancy preacher talk tied in with those, all right? And and, and here's what you could do. You could actually take this and keep it in your Bible or rewrite this or send this or post some of these things on Facebook or email them to your grandkids or, or jot them in a note card to people if you write note cards and encouragement cards to folks. I want you to know this is, this is the real live word of God here. It's the real deal. It's not just for show, amen? So uh, Romans chapter eight, look with me at verse 31. We're gonna drop anchor in verses 31 to 39 today. Here's God's word. What then... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Well, here's another question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives this list. Listen to it. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There were people being persecuted, people being assaulted for their faith in the Lord. It was to be expected. The Bible prophesied it that would happen to us. But look at verse 37. No, in all these things, here it is, we are more than conquerors. We are super victorious is what it means, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Apostle Paul here, he gives he gives these verses inspired by God. And really what it is, is it was a statement of his security in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, loved ones, listen, it is critical for you and I 
to have some security in life. For us to know that we're going to make it through this life. To know that we have a security when it comes to even our eternal life. There's a famous uh, illustration from history that makes the point of how important security is. It was 1937. The great Golden Gate Bridge, as it would come to be called, was completed. Now, it cost over $35 million to build and was completed in two phases. Listen to this. The first phase was rather slow. The second phase of construction actually then took place much more rapidly. You see, something happened. Something changed the circumstances of the Golden Gate Bridge being built. In the first stage, no safety devices were used. Back in the day and age when, when safety at times was a little bit taken for granted and workplaces were a little more dangerous uh, than they're supposed to be before there was certain regulations. And so as a result, listen to this, 23 men fell to their deaths. 23. 23 husbands and fathers and sons fell to their deaths. Because there was no safety device. And so what began to happen is, of course, men began to be much more hesitant in their work and in their climbing. And so work slowed. So what the the authorities decided to do was they installed a net below the construction site, below where the bridge was being constructed, a net. And listen to this. Once the safety net was installed, production increased by 25%. Now, 10 men still fell but none of them died. You see, the difference in production was because of the stability those men felt because of their security. You see, in life, you and I will be more productive. We indeed will be more stable if we feel secure in our life. So security is critically important in your life. I mean, just think about last night. If you did not feel secure in your home last night, my guess is you probably would have had a hard time having a good night's sleep. Security is very important. So today I want to talk to you about how you can be secure for sure in the Lord. Secure for sure in the Lord. And really what this, what this chapter of the Bible is, is an encouragement to the Christian that you can endure suffering, you can endure hardship with assurance If you have hope, and your hope is anchored in the word of the Lord and his promises. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand the scripture today. Lord, I pray right now that you would indeed help us to see very clearly that we are secure in you. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who perhaps does not have their life anchored in you, Lord Jesus. I pray they'll do that, that they'll find that 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 is where they can find hope is in you, Lord Jesus. I pray for this dear church family, for your hand upon all of us here, Lord. I pray for those who perhaps are guests here in the service today, who are visiting from the community, that, Lord, you'll take your word and you'll speak to their hearts and they won't leave here the same. And, Lord, I just pray for Bible Fellowship Group's meeting now and the ones to come that folks will be able to go to. And, Lord, I just pray that we'll encourage one another in you and in the word. Lord, thank you for this, your word. Lord, you're my rock and my redeemer. I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart to be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. In Christ's name I ask this. Amen. Amen. So it's interesting here in Romans 8, uh, you really find here these key questions. I'm going to identify those for you, and I want to give you really some of these answers. Number one, do you see this in verse 31? The, the question is asked, who 
can be against us. And the answer given here in verse 31 is really quite simple. I don't know if you see the phrase or not. I hope you might be underlined it in your Bible. God is for us. That's right there. That right there would be enough for the day. In fact, that right there, I would say, ought to be the supreme thought of Romans chapter 8. Really, if you read the Bible, the whole Bible from beginning to end, you ought to find that really is the central theme of the Bible. God is for us. I want you to do something right now, all right? So you'll get this thought ingrained in your mind. I want you to look at your neighbor right now. I want you to say to him, take turns, God is for us. Would you do that right now? Look at someone and say, God is for us. So you have to do it a couple times to get everybody to God is for us. Everybody had a chance to do I want you to remember that. I want you to write it down. I want you to mark it down. God is for us. Because there are going to come times in life when you and I, we will need to remember God is for us. And so I want you to see here, by God's grace, here it is, we can count on God's power. Now, some say one plus God equals a majority. But I think that's off. I really think God equals a majority. Amen? And I think it's important for us just to see that and get on board with him. Listen, when Joseph was in prison, God was for him. When Job was in trouble, remember Job, I'm reading the book of Job right now with my 13-year-old son in the morning, and, and it's interesting because these kind of these acquaintances, these the, the friends of Job, the ones that came around him during his moments of grief and suffering, and I guess they were trying to encourage him. Uh, I don't know if you need friends like, like Job had or not, because basically, man, they, were, they, they didn't seem to understand that God was for Job. And even when he was in trouble, Joshua, when he was leading those Israelites around Jericho, believed that God is for us. Jonah, in the belly of a whale, God is for us. David, on that field facing Goliath, God is for us. Daniel, in the lion's den, God is for us. Elijah, on Mount Carmel, God is for us. Moses, standing before the Red Sea, God is for us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Remember? Remember the king looked in there and what did he see? It seemed that he saw a fourth, a fourth man appearing as the son of God there in the fiery furnace. God is for us. For us, Peter and Paul in prison, God is for us. Wherever you find yourself today, wherever you may find yourself in your tomorrows, remember this simple statement of Romans 8. Get your life anchored in it. God is for us. By God's grace, we can count on God's power. Now, why is that important? Because really that word against there in verse 31, against, against us. You have to realize, I have to remember that that word against literally means opposition. You know, I face opposition in this life, all right? I mean, mean the human experience, life even as a Christian, and this confuses some people, life as a Christian isn't necessarily a trip to the amusement park, you know? Some people, that kind of, that, that, that gets them all messed up in the head, and they'll say, well, I became a Christian, and it seems that, that, I've had people tell me this, it seems that I've had more grief and more suffering and more hardship after I became a Christian than before when I wasn't a Christian. I can't help it right now. It just immediately pops in my mind is, 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 is my dear friend Ronnie Brown. And I may have mentioned Ronnie before. He's such a dear friend. And Ronnie, Ronnie was the first man when I planted a church and pastored that church. He's the first grown man I remember baptizing. And as a pastor of that church, his was the last funeral that I preached. This man served so faithfully, was diagnosed with cancer. And I can still remember, I can still remember when, when he looked at me one day and he said, you know, I, I, I just, I just want the Lord to give me enough days 
Pastor Brian, so I can make sure that you're squared away and that you're in good shape with this third worship service that you're trying to get started. And how he would be sitting there and he would be uh, dealing with the uh, after effects of chemotherapy, Brother Al, and radiation, and, he, and he'd be wanting to bring me Gatorade and, and ice water to drink in between worship services. And I can remember, though, in a moment, the thought must have crossed his mind, why? Why am I going through this now as a Christian, someone serving the Lord? And you know what? The victory is this, is in the midst in the midst of his suffering, and even there when I preached that funeral that was just a capacity crowd there at our church, hundreds and hundreds of people gathered there. And when we, and when we marched out, led the way with his casket being taken out of that auditorium, you know, his only request was this. Listen, listen, when you, when you lead my remains out that door, you, you have the band and you have the drummer, you have him play a volley because I want people leaving that service, knowing that I do believe that God is for me, and I am more than a conqueror. Now, folks, that's a way to live, and that's a way to die, and that's a way to march in the glory. I want you to remember today, you can, by God's grace, you can count on God's power, but oh, you face some opposition. You face some opposition. I think the Bible teaches there's three great enemies in life. One is the world, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Listen, this world system, now I'm not talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about this world system. It is bent against the Lord and his will. I think about the flesh. My flesh is an enemy. Romans 7, 18 talks about that. And then the evil one, 1 Peter 5 says that, that he goes around as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But this morning, I want you to understand in the face of opposition, you can mark it down by God's grace. You can count on God's power. You can know that God is for us. And it's as if Paul, when he writes, well, what do we say to these things? He's, he's, he's thinking back to what he's just told them. In fact, you can go back and read the whole chapter of Romans 8 on your own, and you ought to do that. In fact, you ought to probably read the whole first eight chapters. And some of it's kind of thick, thick stuff to get through, and some of it's kind of kind of hard and fast downhill sledding. But understand this, when you get to this chapter, you'll say, wow, now I see what God has done for me. How can I, no matter what opposition I might face, ever think that God's not for me? When you come to read things like the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's in the first chapter of Romans. When a condemned sinner expresses faith in the Lord Jesus for salvation and forgiveness of sin, he's given the peace of God. That's in the fifth chapter of Romans. Oh, I want you to know that Paul says, listen, in light of what God has done for us, how can I not believe God is for us. Oh, by God's grace, we can count on God's power. But then in verse 32, he says, well, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not only do we count on God's power, but we count on God's provision. Now, this is an interesting question here. Because remember, these people were, were suffering some very real calamities in their lives and some very legitimate hardships. And actually what they could have thought was that somehow now in life they had become God forsaken. You ever have moments where you just, where you just, you just, it just feels like that God couldn't be further away from you. 
And you wonder, God, why is this happening to me right now? And the point he makes is what is called in rhetoric a greater to lesser argument. And his, and his point is simply this. Listen, look at the Bible. He says, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's a greater to lesser argument. The idea is this. He's already given you the greatest gift of all in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you not trust that he'll take care of the rest? There's an old story from the ancient world about a rich Roman nobleman who decided to leave all of his inheritance to his faithful servant named Marcellus. His own flesh and blood, his son, was rebellious and untrustworthy. Yet he gave his son one gift. In his will, he said that his son would be allowed to pick one possession but that his slave, Marcellus, would receive all the rest. And so that very, very sly son said, well, here's the one thing I want of my father's. Give me Marcellus. Because he knew if he had Marcellus, he would actually have all that his father had. Now let me give you something a little more personal to take away with you. Just imagine this for a moment. If you came to me and said, I need your son. Now, I'm not going to give you my son, all right? I'm not going to give you my son. I wouldn't give you my daughters either in case you're curious. I'm not going to give you any of them, all right? But let's say, let's take my son. He's my only begotten son. And, but let's just say that for some reason I did give you my son. And then you came to me and you said, um, I'm kind of nervous about asking you about this. Uh, now, I know you've given me your only begotten son. But I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But I, I was just curious. Would you mind giving me his bicycle? Now, why on earth would I begrudge you his bicycle? I have already given you my son. So, loved ones, remember this this day. We can, by God's grace, count on God's provision. Listen, God is watching over us. God is taking care of us. I know this may not seem comforting to you if you're going through something right now. If you're just perhaps wondering how you're going to balance the bills or how you're going to deal with a certain hardship. But listen, I'm just telling you, based on the testimony of Scripture, God says to you and me, listen, if I can trust him with my salvation, if I can trust him with my eternity, I can trust him with the lesser. By God's grace, Count on God's power. By God's grace, count on God's provision. But then, look, there's a, there's a third question. Look with me at verse 33. The Bible says, then, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. We can count on God's protection. That's what I want you to see here. Now, this is kind of interesting. This is the picture here of the evil one, the adversary, actually coming, coming, and he's accusing us, and he's accusing us before God. And he's bringing a charge against us. Now, we do have an accuser in the evil one. Romans 12.10, I mean, Revelation 12.10 tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren before God day and night. Of course, I mentioned Job. You know, he accused Job in front of God. Now, it's interesting. I wrote this down. When, when Satan talks to us about God, he lies. Isn't that true? When Satan talks to us about God, he lies. But listen, 
When he talks to God about me, he doesn't have to lie. He doesn't have to lie. I indict myself. But I want you to remember something this morning. God is not just my judge. Romans 8 reminds me that he is also my justifier. He's also my justifier. Listen, I am exempt from any accusation. I am excused from any condemnation. Why, you know, why do I get nervous about my standing before God? I'll tell you why. Because there are times my conscience convicts me. There are times the evil one accuses me. And i tell you another reason. It's because I know down deep, I know God is holy. I know God is holy. But listen to this. Jesus died for me. Jesus has been raised for me, and Jesus is at the right hand of God. That's what, that's what the Bible here reminds us of. So by God's grace, listen, you can count on God's power. You can count on him providing, and you can count on his protection. Because I tell you, here's, just, just, just keep reading on. Look at what verse 34 says. Well, who, who is to condemn I mean, who actually is going to condemn us? The Bible says Christ Jesus is the one who died. And it is kind of like this courtroom scene. And in a way, if it weren't so serious, it could be kind of humorous. The picture is God is standing there as judge. Now, most people get that. Most people, even if they don't believe in Jesus, down deep, I think, in their heart, have some thought that one day they may have to stand before a righteous, holy God, and they're going to wonder how things are going to pan out. And the picture here is God is standing there as holy judge. And the evil one is there as the prosecutor. And he's playing the videotapes to show my ungodliness and the sin in my life. And, of course, there in the holy courtroom of God, I, I, I could become extremely nervous. I could, become, I be, I could begin to kind of sweat and, and, and wonder and, and know that, I, yes, okay, that's me. But all of a sudden then, the Lord Jesus comes in. And I don't have to defend myself. You know, lawyers are famous of saying that, you know, that, that anybody who tries to defend himself has a fool for a client. It's foolish to try to defend yourself. But I don't have to. Because into the, into the courtroom, the doors swing open. And in comes the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus doesn't even have to say a word. In that court of God's holiness, Jesus doesn't have to utter a word. I believe in a way it's a picture that all Jesus does is hold his hands up. And there those nail scars say all that has to be said. Jesus has paid my sin debt. I have an advocate. I have a counselor. I have a helper. The Lord Jesus has purchased my pardon. Oh, listen, listen, by God's grace you can count on his pardon. You know, you read on here, finally, finally, verse 35 has this ultimate question. It's as if he just says, well, listen, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes through and he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says, no, 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 verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else. It's as if he was just trying to draw on all of his vocabulary. He says, you, you name it, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God. It kind of reminds me ultimately that I can count on God's passion. Don't ever forget that. When it's all said and done, you can count on his power. You can count, oh listen, you on him providing his protection, his pardon, and his passion for you and me. There you go. You can count on him. He loves you and he has loved you. But here's, the, here, here's, here's really, I think, the serious question. All right, Brian, I get it. I, I, I believe that, that he won't fail me. But what if I fail him? Isn't that a pretty serious question? Okay, I, I get it. I, I know he won't fail me. What if I fail him? It's interesting. I want to point out something. Look, verse 37 of your Bible. Romans 8, verse 37. Now in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who, what's the next word? Loved. 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 It's in the past tense. That sounds kind of, it's a little unusual because quite often in the Bible, it seems that it's always in the present tense, like God loves us. Isn't that a lot of times we encourage, God loves you. We'll encourage each other, don't we? Jesus loves you. We even teach little children songs. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But that's not the word here. The word here is loved. The sovereign hand of God working through the pen of the apostle Paul gets to this verse. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loves us, right, God? No, not this time. This time, write the word loved. Loved us. This is pointing to a particular point in time when we shall never forget that God once and for all demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When you're looking at your problems and your circumstances, the reason you can say that neither this nor that can separate me from the love of Christ is you look past that problem And you look at the cross. You look at the cross. If you ever, ever doubt for a moment how much God loves you, all you have to do is look at a moment in time where he proved how much he loves you. He loved us on that cross. He loved us. He loved us few weeks, my 13-year-old son will go to the Virginia Holocaust Museum on a field trip. But last year, when he turned 12, in our family on certain birthdays, we'll do certain special things. And so I took him on just kind of a special father-son trip. 
And we went and saw a professional ball game in Washington, but spent the night. And the next day, I took him to the Holocaust Museum. And I researched it and felt like he was, he was ready for it. And it's, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty powerful, poignant. I won't go into all of it in case you've never been, so you won't lose the impact, but But it reminds me of a story that Corey Tim Boom recounts to us, famous Christian lady who in her youth and young adulthood was sent to a Nazi concentration camp. Of course, she lived to talk about it. Her sister Betsy did not. But she writes about how in the early 40s they were put in a Nazi concentration camp. And I won't go into all the details, but she talks about how there were different scriptures they would try to remember to bring them comfort. And she writes that Romans 8 was one of those scriptures that they always came around at night to read when they could get a Bible or would try to recall. She says, quote, more than conquerors, it wasn't a wish. It was a fact, and we knew it. We experienced it minute by minute. We were poor, we were hated now, we were hungry, but we were more than conquerors. Not we shall, but we are. And she tells about some of the times that her and her sister and the others would be marched out. At times how they would be made to march out in public in their nakedness. And she tells about this one day they were marched out and they were made to march out naked. And she recounts the lurid glare of the Nazi guards. She recalls standing there, trying to stand there in their little formation naked. And she knew how crushing it was to her sister Betsy. And she says at a moment, she leaned over to Betsy and she said, Betsy, just remember, they took his clothes too. And he hung on the cross, naked. You know, in our nice pictures, because of decorum, even when we do Easter plays, we we have to, you know, modify reality. Sometimes for us, it's even a bit bit much just to see the little a little cloth there of covering. No, that's not the way history really portrays crucifixion. And she says, remember, they took his clothes too. They took his clothes too. And this is what Betsy said. Standing there in her nakedness in a Nazi concentration camp, she said, oh, Corey. Oh, Corey. I've never thanked him for doing that. Now, church, I want to ask you right now as we, as we come to the conclusion of today's message to simply ask you, where is your security today? I want to invite you, make sure today that your security is in the fact that Jesus loves you, but that he loved you. He's proven it, church. Don't ever forget his passion for you. Have you thanked him? Have you thanked him? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I'm yours? Lord Jesus, my life may be a testimony for you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. 
Don't forget God is for us. We are more than conquerors. You may be here today, and if you've never put your faith, your trust, and surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, won't you do so today? We'll be down front. Brother Andy and I will be down front ready to receive you. If today you want to come and say, I, I today put my faith, my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and need him to be my savior, to save me from my sins and to make me more than a conqueror. You may be here today and you've been attending church for a long time. You've, 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 you've called on Jesus as your savior. You've been baptized. But maybe for whatever reason, you're at some point in your life and you just need to once again say, Lord Jesus, yes, you are my Lord. I surrender my life afresh and anew to you today. Perhaps you just need to mark that down today. That you have your life anchored in Jesus. Perhaps you want to come today and just make a, a renewed commitment that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. I'm going to invite you to come forward and make that commitment today. You may want to come and just kneel in prayer or pray where you are and just cry out to God and in thankfulness or in needfulness. You can do that today. Would you stand to your feet and bow your heads with me in prayer? Heads bowed and eyes closed.